Hey, this is Fireman Rob. You know, optimal performance isn't something that happens just by accident. I know this for a fact from being a fireman and doing way too many Ironman triathlons and full firefighter gear. But everybody always asks me, what's your secret? I can give you one secret. That's the right stuff, hydration. Hydration is important when it comes to being present in the moment, ready to run into the fires and being capable of showing up every single time at your best. The Right Stuff was created for NASA by NASA for their astronauts. Now it's trusted by professional athletes in Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, and most of the top tier college sports. It's not an accident to prepare yourself to be great. If you're looking for that next edge, go to therightstuff-usa.com and enter the code FIREMANROB and you'll get 10% off at your checkout. This is an opportunity I wouldn't pass up. I have and still do use The Right Stuff. It's serious hydration for serious athletes, from the weekend warriors to those on the front lines. Make this a part of your habits to be the best you daily. Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same blood, the same blood. Stay by your side, it's right or die. We've got the same. All right, welcome back to Forge in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Today's guest, well, I've known him a long time, and uh, literally, he's been not a weight on my shoulder, but a weight on my head uh, for all the years of doing races and in, uh, in full firefighter gear. But it's the most comfortable thing I, I can attest to thousands and thousands of miles in this helmet and it's unbelievable but he's more than just a newly um, appointed CEO of Phoenix Technology he's a gentleman who is um, he's really a leader he's somebody who um, talks about lean management he talks about a lot of different things that uh, correlate to making a better workforce as well as making better people my guest today Angel Sanchez thanks so much for joining me it's an absolute honor, Rob. Um, I mean, it's it's been a pleasure being your friend all these years, and I'm honored that you asked me to join you today. You know, you know that the helmet, uh, literally and figuratively, um, you've been not a weight on my shoulder, but I sh- I should have said somebody who's supported um, the dreams, and and you continue to do that. I love that because I want to dive deeper into your um, your, your philosophies because. You know, just what was it in uh, August, right? You were appointed to uh, chief executive officer of Phoenix Technology. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, just recently. Jeez, and and you know, it's been an easy transition, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, obviously, in my previous role, I, I had a lot of responsibility, but um, I'm quite blessed. Uh, I have yeah. a wonderful, we call people family here at Phoenix. Um, I have a wonderful family, very supportive family. And so in, in some ways, yeah, it absolutely has been very easy. Uh, but you you definitely take on a different caliber of responsibility and ownership when uh, 
that title's bestowed upon you. <laughs> and, and I don't think people really truly understand. You know, they, they see that CEO title and like, oh, man, that lucky person. And then they look at the company and like, oh, man, the, the, the company runs really well. They don't see the little things. And I think that's really what it comes back to with you is it's those little things that matter that make the bigger picture better, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you're you really should be the chief visionary officer. And I think Simon <laughs> Sinek is the one that coined that term, but you're, you're, you're having to have big picture and, and having a true big picture is not an easy thing because as humans, I think we tend to focus on what's front and center and we kind of get blinders on and, and um, I can't be that way. I have to make sure that I'm looking up, down, side to side, backwards, forwards um, today, tomorrow and next decade. And, that I think is probably what is the most challenging part of being a, a CEO is that big picture thinking. And, you know, the, the ones that are, are good at it and run some incredibly successful companies are the ones that have the best capability of seeing that big picture and, and not forgetting about the little things, the, the little details and the big details. It, it's, it's like, I, have, yeah, I can't say I figured it all out yet, but it's <laughs> being able to put that recipe together. Right. You know, having that recipe that lets you look at everything and not forget about things. It's having the chili without the beans, you know, you can't, you can't have it. <laughs> you got to have it all. You got to have it all. I mean, and, and you guys primarily do at Phoenix Technology. I mean, your helmet's amazing. Obviously I, I've, I can attest to how comfortable it is. And when you have something like that, that you literally look at the end product as something that can uh, save lives. That is obviously protecting um, our frontline firefighters, our frontline, you know, wildland firefighters, all the way to um, search and recovery. What does that mean to you to be able to not only have a great product, but have these people that are making the product understand the power behind what they're doing? You know, I think a lot of it just has to do with our culture. So we are absolutely a culture that embraces love. And I know that sounds really weird to most business leaders. <laughs> probably the most hug you through here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, love is really at the core of what we do. And it's, it's at the core of my leadership style. Um, you know, we love each other and, and I'm not talking the romantic way, you know, right. No. In yeah. A, in a family's type of way, there's genuine love for each other here. And we also have that same genuine love for customers um, the end users, the the firefighters that are um, that you've mentioned that are out there saving lives and you know and educating and just right. committing their life to serving others, um, you know, we've got genuine love for them, and so it, it's I guess it's easy for us to recognize that we have to do everything we can to make a product that not only is going to keep them safe but keep them comfortable, and that's going to keep them. Uh, safe for the long term. That's something that, right. you know, there's, it's one thing to have debris fall and hit you in the head and, and have a product <laughs> that, you know, Never but it's that. another thing to be able to run. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it's another thing though, to you, obviously you've used it in running of thousands of miles and we want you to be able to do that without having long-term impacts, you know, your neck, right. your back, all of those things are stuff that that's that big picture thinking that I was referring to as a leader, but it's also as a company vision is making sure that we're not just protecting you today, but we're protecting you for the rest of your life. 
and uh, it's all based around that love. It's a love for customers. And, you know, we, I mean, you've been around when we're talking yeah, to other customers and the far. relationships we have, but it, they're genuine. You know, we, yeah. we've got genuine love for, from our suppliers to our, I'll say employees, we call people family members, but to our family members, to the people in the business next to us and to our distributors. And then of course, to the end users, to the customers. Um, I don't, I think that really guides a lot of things and it makes it a lot easier for, um, you know, the men and women that are building these products and designing these products to um, do a great job. You know, when you love somebody, you're going to make sure that you go above and beyond to beyond reproach on everything to provide a service, a product, or, you know, maybe just a, a, an ear to listen to something. Right. And it's, and it's more than a product. And I think I, I love that, that aspect because it, I mean, each, each fire helmet is, you know, you can have some customization to it and realistically, you know, it's like a child almost <laughs> at the end of the day. And you guys have, I, this, this always blows my mind. So the leather helmet, and then there's a little, um, number on the back uh, brim that you uh, that embossed in essence into that. What is that? Can you can you give me a little more insight as to that? Because that's so powerful to me. It's small, but we know it's there. Sure, we have nine eleven. That's obviously um, it's just that it's it's truly looking at never forgetting and remembering the three hundred forty three that we lost that day. Um, and it, it's subtle. It's not, you know, we're not yeah. using it as a marketing piece. It's just a no. subtle reminder that every day, that job that's being done, um, we have to keep that in the back of our mind. And remember that there were men and women who, knowing, I think, in many cases, that was going to be their last day on the job and their last day with us. Right. They still did it. They still went out and they sacrificed everything they had to offer for others. And so we've added that in. And then, there, of course, there's some other things built in. You know, there's some, oh, yeah. there's some hidden Easter eggs in our helmets that have initials about the family members because family is so important to us. Yeah. Um, that's within the filigree. I, I see. I, I love that because that's that was a little, little – I mean, and even if some of them don't actually – I have had to point it out to some of the firefighters in, in our department because we have Phoenix uh, helmets, obviously. Why would you go with anything else? But um, – <laughs> uh, you know, you pointed out, but like you said, it's kind of a subtle thing when you're, when you're in a leadership position, I think this is the other thing is like, uh, you know, when we were at, uh, FDIC, the way that you associate with, um, the customer as well as your family there, it's a subtle, I mean, it's a subtle respect that you have for them. It's, it's amazing. They understand it without you having to say it. How how did that come to be? Was that always kind of the way you were, or is that something that you worked on through the years? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, well, for me personally, obviously, um, I have a fire service background too. So that yeah. that uh, familyhood, that brotherhood and sisterhood, and all of that that kind of comes natural for me. Um, I came up through that. So sitting around the table and and shooting the, you know, what with the oh, yeah. guys and girls at the station. <laughs> I mean, so that it, it's very natural for me in that environment because it's just an extension of the fire service. Um, I think it's more important to recognize those uh, within the organization that don't have the fire background, you know, so obviously Ray and Ronnie, they were right. firefighters that designed this and then myself and Sean have, you know, decades of fire experience. Um, but for the others within our organization, 
those connections are they're totally different. They didn't have that experience. They didn't they didn't sit around uh, playing Uno at the firehouse waiting for the tones <laughs> to go off. Um, I think where where they've learned it is in it starts here at home. It starts with our our own culture here at Phoenix, where um, everyone is so critically important to each other, and that there's such a family environment. And, and we reinforce over and over again that the end users and, and our customers, you know, in a lot of ways, the customers are our distributors. Yeah, exactly. But the end yeah. users are ultimately our customers. Um, they're, we reinforce on a regular basis. That's part of the family. And oftentimes, right. and, yeah. you know, most yeah. times, if, you know, if I hear somebody that, like FTC is a great example. Somebody will buy a helmet there at the show. And I'm like, welcome to the family. And right. uh I think that is probably at the core is we, we reinforce, like I've said a couple of times over and over again, that that's important. Yeah. You got to treat them like family. And so um, if you think about how we engage with family, I'm sure I have a very large family. I come from a a Mexican Irish background on both sides of the family. Oh boy. They're a huge background. I mean, they're huge families. And, you know, I've been to events with, cousins that I've never even met before. And it, it doesn't matter their family. And we start talking or laughing and we're having a good time. And um, I think that takes place even in the, the work environment because we know they're part of the family. We just feel comfortable saying hello, smiling, laughing, sharing that's, a uh, beverage or whatever. That's so, that's so powerful. And, and, you know, and I think when I go into a different kind of realm of that, that product, you don't always get to see the, um, like those, the individuals that make it right. You don't always get to see the, the, um, impact that what you made, uh, has on individuals or how it saved somebody's life or neck or anything like that. How do you, how do you translate to that, to the individuals who don't know the fire service, who don't know in essence, the, cause each of our helmets, I, I mean, I have, you know, the helmet that I race with and I have the helmet work, but it's mine to customize. And, and make my own and make it realistically, it, it, it's, it's, it's an identity thing. How do you convey that m- even more to that individual who's um, sewing it, who's, you know, packaging it? Because that's, I mean, for me, it's, I'm getting kind of, I get goosebumps right now, but that's so powerful of a, of a piece of equipment that they may never see that impact on the, on the back end. Sure. Um, some of this is our onboarding. We have a very thorough onboarding process, which introduces them not only to, you know, how to build a product or lean, of course, which is a big part yep. of our business, but also um, the, the fire history. We have a museum here, which is amazing. And you can learn a lot from that. And you go through a tour with Ray during your early days uh, with the organization. Oh, but awesome. uh, we, we have components that are, um, uh, you know, really it gets down to the, uh, the insignia, you know, what, what does two cross bugles mean? We, we go over that stuff with them. Uh, <laughs> Don't we, go near we talk it. about <laughs> the engines, the pumpers, and, you know, understanding a little bit about the tradition of the fire service. And um, so we do spend a little bit of time as part of their onboarding and introducing them to the basics of the fire service. The other thing we try to do is, uh, even at FDIC, we'll take people from our production environment every year. 
So different people get to go with us and they're not salespeople. Um, They make the product and they go and they get to talk to the firefighters. You know, the after hours, I think, is where you get the most interaction. You get to everyone's kind of relaxed and being themselves. So we try to make sure that they get that exposure. We're blessed to have a wonderful fire department here in the city of Riverside. And um, they happen to be a customer and they stop by and we'll like, come on the back and check everything out. And, you know, our people get to meet alongside with them. We used to, in the old days, have a lot more fun. We used to take all of our people and put them in uh, burn environments with helmets and turnouts and things like that. Oh, nice. um, we not don't get safe anymore, anymore, right? Not, yeah. <laughs> There's liabilities yeah. associated with that, but we do, you know, we have people try on the products and we really try to put a lot of emphasis on um, who the customer is and who that family extension is. What's Man. really blessed us is having, and we have one example for sure. We have a gentleman um, named Jared out of Memphis who was wearing a TL2 and he fell, I want to say it was 10 or 11 feet straight down on his head and survived and had no neck or, or head injuries. Jeez. Uh, I asked him to join us on a, a video call and uh, I, I didn't tell anybody, of course, I surprised him and I said, oh, we have a special guest today that's going to join. We have a daily meeting and uh, somebody's we have a special guest today that's going to join and and he came on and he shared his story and i you know i don't think there was a dry eye in the house oh i can imagine uh, (laughs) and he's come and joined us at fdic and worked alongside our people to share his story and so when those stories happen we make sure that they're aware of it but you know it's gosh it's it's just a matter of of providing a pretty detailed and extensive level of information about who our customer is um, and not just bringing people on. So like an average person that comes to work here, they go through 480 hours of training the first 90 hours. It's almost like being a firefighter. It's It's like you're training. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's, that doesn't, it's not just how to build a helmet because that, that doesn't take very long. It's, it's training, and development on our culture is training development about on our customer base. It's training development on lean. It's training, you know, it's all these leadership skills. All of that's incorporated in that 480 hours. So we do our best to set them off on the right foot. And then as time goes along, they just naturally pick up from the, you know, their other family members, certain things. And, you know, we have uh, people that were explorers in the fire service. Um, they kind of can share their stories and, you know, right. we, we always have our own little stories too. There's always been something that, you know, I got friends that come by that we used to be on the fire engine together and we'll start telling stories and you know how that goes. There's always stories. They get to hear it though. So yeah. the, best thing is the, the stories get better as time goes on though. Yeah. They get so much more exaggerated. <laughs> you get a basic uh, traffic collision that next thing you know, it was, you know, 500 cars, 500 cars. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, so we definitely, it. I'm sure we, uh, over the years, especially between Ray and I, I'm sure our stories have gotten uh, grander and grander, but, um, we, you know, we try to expose them as much as possible and we run things, that family environment that we run is very much modeled after the fire right. service. In fact, our morning meeting that I referred to is called a tailboard session. Oh, no we kidding. explain to people what that means, the reason for the tailboard session. You know, when, when you go to a training you know, you go out in the field for training, you meet at the tailboard and you discuss safety, you discuss our objectives for the day. After an incident, you do a safety debrief at the tailboard. And so we make sure that people understand what that is. And, you know, we eat lunch together and, and it, you know, it's it's just part of our environment. So I think it naturally they, they kind of that's that's why you see them 
out there at FDIC and in other shows, and they just seem to know what they're talking about, right? They already know the family uh, dynamic. Right. That's and and you you had mentioned lean, and I want to get to that because I think um, that wasn't always part of your repertoire, right? No, some, not at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. And 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 you really tell me more about when you um, really decided or kind of found that impact to move forward with that lean. Uh, manufacturing, lean management. What, what was that? What was that uh, situation like? What did that look like? So we, you know, we've been blessed over the years, and um, I don't know if you go back to 2014, 2015. We really started seeing progress in growth uh, throughout the country, and and actually started into the international markets. Uh, we were a very stable company for forty something years, but it was kind of, you know, we kind of had our key target markets and. Right. Um, that changed. We started really expanding into new markets and, you know, with, with growth comes some challenges and production <laughs> challenges yeah. and we're still faced with challenges today. You know, making leather helmets is not easy and no. we run into a, a number of challenges and supply chain and things like that. But, um, around, two, I, you know, I had a little bit of background in Six Sigma and, and lean. And at the time I thought they kind of went hand in hand. Um, but we had to do something. And I was like, this lean thing, it's supposed to make life easier. Let's look into it. So we actually, we did it wrong in the beginning because we focused on the process of lean and we hired a consultant and this consultant came out and he talked about, you know, making all these changes. And overnight we were supposed to become Toyota and gosh, we got so much, it was horrible. I mean, we just became just a horrible company because of this. It's, we were focusing on the process and then I got exposed to a different mentality of lean. Um, and it was a, a focus on two core components and that is respect for people and continuous improvement. Hmm. And, you know, I came to this, um, realization that before we start trying to fix our processes and doing these value stream maps and all these detailed, you know, analytical tools, we got to build a good culture and we have to build the right culture. And so we, even to this day, we focus so much energy on culture. And I think we have one of the best cultures of any industry. Um, And it's why people visit us from all over the world to learn about our culture. That led us to um, really strengthening our people and their empowerment. And that made it much easier to do just the simple things of fixing what bugs you. And believe it or not, that was a, a big journey into creating a lean environment. And so of course, and you know, we, there's a guy named Paul Akers that wrote a book called two second lean. And we started realizing it's not about making these Kaizen event monumental changes. It's about just making things better every single day, better people, better products, better world, which is our core focus. Um, and what we started to see with lean is our people were happier um, our customers started to become happier and we were able to start getting product out the door a lot faster and for, and really add in value for the customers. You know, that if you, if I know over the years we've had price increases, especially around leather, cause the cost of raw materials, oh, yeah. so much. but if you, if you were able to chart the cost to us of outside material, raw material, things like that, the cost right. of labor, 
yeah. and the cost to the customer, they're not lined up. We've been able to maintain prices for the most part, for the better part of the last decade, through some significant increases in the cost to us as an organization. And that is through the um, efficiencies that we've gained. You know, every, you know, things may go up, our external factors may go up 30%, but then we just have to make up some of that in becoming more efficient and passing that savings on to the customer. Um, that's huge. Course, things like quality and things like that, or, you know, that's, if you don't have to redo a product, then you save that money. And that goes into being able to pass savings on to the customers. What, so when you, when you talk about culture, cause I think that's a, that's a huge thing in, in all businesses, obviously, but also, you know, especially in a business like yours, where, like you said, there's, there's a dynamic nature of, it's not just you guys producing a product. It's, it's getting the leather in, it's getting the timelines, right. Everything like that. How, how did you see once you got that culture, maybe like an integrity of culture so that it was consistent? How did you see when you mentioned timelines to people or, or delays, were they more responsive to you? Were they, were they more accommodating? Yeah, I believe so. I, you know, we, we hate to let customers down. I mean, that's right. It, it sucks. It's just not <laughs> something we, and, and I think it's because we genuinely care. It's not a matter of like, Hey, suck it up. You, you want a helmet, you can wait for it. We, I mean, it hurts us. It really does. Like we, yeah. it's almost a, a depressing thing for us when we have to do that. Um, but I, but I also think that if you, if you treat people right all along and you create that environment of, um, delight, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm a firm believer that we have to delight our customers in every experience. And if you if you do that enough, that people become more accepting when you let them down. You know, it's uh, that love that I talked about. You know, if you build a love and relationship with people, uh, you know they're they're gonna. I'd like my friend Steve Farber, an author. He says that if if you if you've got love within the relationship, they you might burn somebody's house down, and they'll just be like, eh, things happen. I read, I read that. Yeah. I was like, I read that. I was like, Wait, <laughs> I got to read this again because I'm. <laughs> that's true, though. It is. It's in India. You know, of course, we don't want to burn anybody's house down. It's not that extreme, but no, I think we're we're still going to strive to improve the experience every single time. Um, we're going through a tough time right now with the, the whole world is, I think that helps us too, is everyone's going through a tough time. So we're used to, you know, going and not being able to pick up your favorite ice cream or, or pick up an electronic device. Why'd you have to mention ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what we do, right? right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Ice cream is the fire service thing worldwide. Um, There you go. But I think, you know, that, if the customers know we're doing our best and, and we really genuinely are, we're trying our best to improve the experience. And there's things that we're getting out the door. Like most of our helmets are going out the door within a few days of being ordered. Um, if, if we're able to delight and show genuine concern. And the other thing is not over promise and under deliver. Right. Um, huh. If you can kind of do those things, customers are much more understanding when you let them down. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge aspect. I think, when you look at uh, you know culture versus process, and I, th- I loved how you said that, it's like we 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 screwed up in the beginning because we didn't focus on what we needed to. What was the major thing um, at first with culture? What was the one thing that you looked at in the beginning? And you said, "Yeah, we need this part of that culture." Well, there's a there's a lot of aspects of our culture that I think are very different than a lot of businesses, and I'll start with leadership. So I nobody here works for me. Um, I believe I'm a, 
you know, I call myself a servant leader. And mm-hmm. my my role here is actually to serve everyone that is within the organization. So um, our family members, I work for them. And I think that's where that empowerment starts to really pay off because I, I you know, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the room all the time. I, I can't possibly come up with every, in fact, I'm rarely the smartest guy in the room. Um, the smartest people we have, the best people we have are those uh, subject matter experts that are in our production environment, they're in our engineering team that are, you know, and we have to empower them to make change. We have to empower them to, um, you know, take us to the next level. And by, by changing the leadership approach to serving them, we're giving them the capability to thrive and to, to really grow themselves and grow their, their processes and grow the rest of the organization. And in doing so, it also enriches them. Um, so not only do they grow, but they also feel more invested. Yeah. And so if you personally are invested in getting something done, so as an example, doing Ironman competitions, you were invested in that and it meant a lot to you. So you gave it your all. Right. And our people are invested in providing an exceptional experience and an exceptional product. And they, they like I said earlier, they take it personally when we let people down because we still make mistakes. We're by no means perfect. Right. Uh, we're, we're still a small family business and uh, we're learning. But they're so heavily invested in making a wonderful product and in doing everything they can for those external family members that I think that was where the change really started to happen. That's where you started to see improvement in quality. You started to see incredible efficiency gains and you just started to see the experience for the customer improve when all of our family members took it personally. That's, so, that, that's a, such a powerful statement because there's so many people that just work to work, right? And it's one of those things when you actually have something that's tangibly attaching you to that outcome. And now here's the other thing that I have to ask because, I mean, that was that's powerful. But for you as a CEO, you ha- you have such a caring heart and you talk about love. Are you able to, um, when you're at the top, and I think a lot of executives feel this, are you able to get the same, uh, I guess, love being at on the top when you're having to provide it for everyone else? Yeah, that's kind of a, there's a mixed signal or a mixed message within that. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason for that, there's a couple things. One is I, I try to maintain a horizontal hierarchy here. So okay. I clean bathrooms just like everybody else. Um, oh, Wow. I, 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 there's, I, I go and build helmets sometimes, you know, I want to know the pain that they're going through. And so I I can easily, the only thing I don't do is paint because I'm not very good at it. And I'd hate to screw up a TL2 (laughs) in the paint process, but aside from that, I, I can do every job in the organization and I'll work alongside them. So in many ways, well, in honestly, in every way, I think that's the best way to approach things. I'm a firm believer that Email. I, I don't even. I don't even like looking at my email. My job is not to be sitting at this desk. It's actually to be on the floor or to be alongside, you know, our engineers or alongside our customer experience members or or building a helmet with them. And as a result of that, I think it it really makes that hierarchy seem much more flat. They don't necessarily look at me like I don't walk out there and you know it's. Sh- and all of a sudden, the CEO. <laughs> um, 
the big man. Uh, the big man. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like, I don't like, don't call me boss, man. Um, <laughs> me as your boss. I, those are things I yeah. just don't like. And I, you know, I don't scold them right away, but I, I try to encourage them. They're like, Hey, you're more of my boss, my executive assistant. Of course, you've talked to her, Stacey. She's, right. That's my boss. You That's know, I don't boss, do anything. Yeah. She doesn't tell me. I can do because <laughs> I've, I've empowered I her to manage my schedule and she's really good at it. And, uh, it's the same thing with all of them. I think, um, I think that that definitely gets a little bit more of um, uh, kind of cohesion. Yeah. But at the same time, I still have to be an executive. I still have to ensure I'm not their buddy. Um, uh, it's a, it's almost like parenting. <laughs> yeah, in a lot you know, of ways. A little bit. You have to, to a point. Um, yeah. Because I think they teach me, well, I guess with even my son, my son taught me more than I taught him in some cases. So <laughs> you learn from each way. But, you know, you still have to, I have to, I still have to be an executive. I still have to make sure right. that the families out there, and we actually, if you ever get a chance to visit, you'll notice right in the middle of our, our doorway is a picture of everyone's loved ones. Um, and it's not in my office because I'm not that important. It's all of us have to see that, but we want to look at that and realize that if we make mistakes or if we have successes, it affects the people on that board, not just the people that are in our office today. It affects those young children and those grandparents and those loved ones with everything that we do. And, um, you know, that, that type of thing has me also, that's why I said it was kind of a mixed thing is I have to also recognize that, I've got to make strong decisions. I have to be disciplined and I have to ensure that we're disciplined. Um, I'm not in it for the year. I'm not in it for the five years. I'm, I'm in it to build a legacy of an or, of, a, of a family, an organization that'll be here for generations. And uh, some of that big picture thinking sometime can be harder to do if you're just kind of in the mix of everything. And so you almost have to wear, I don't want to say two hats, but you, you're, you're kind Multiple. of, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're kind of living two lives within the same structure. Um, so, yeah, and and it can be, you hear the term, it can be lonely at the top. And, I, you know, I have those moments, too, because right. um, you kind of want to be part of the family. That's the one thing you know, I miss, like, at the firehouse. It's like, you know, we're yeah. playing basketball outside together. We're all together. Um, but I, I think it's better than most. I think I have the luxury of of being in a, a loving and, and happy and joyful environment. Right. But I also have the same responsibilities that CEOs across the, the world have. And that is to, to ensure that you guide the ship in the right direction and that you understand what true North is and you keep the team focused on going towards true North. And what is, I, I, and you, you always amaze me the more and more I find out about you because it's, that, that's so powerful to have people see that you put their families up there. And I mean, that's, that's a totally different level of um, consideration. And, uh, you know, in the fire service, you know, this, we always say, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you go home at the morning to your family. And uh, you putting those photos there, that that's kind of that same philosophy is like every day that you go home, we're going to ensure that you have this job or you're going to ensure the next person. I mean, you you can't have that much turnover, I can't imagine. No, we were blessed we have turnover. <laughs> okay, I I mean, anybody who's listening who's an executive is sitting here going, "Okay, well, how do I incorporate that? What would be one of the first steps that you'd say for executives that are listening that would be like this is the philosophy I want in our culture." 
What does that first step look like to them? Well, I can absolutely answer that. And it's a journey that I've taken over the last five, seven years. And that is, um, you got to look inward. You have to, you've got to realize that you're not that great. Um, and that we have <laughs> I love that. so much to learn that we're, um, we're, we're ultimately flawed as leaders. And even though we sit in a, in a, you know, I don't, I don't sit in a big office. I, I share it with somebody else. Uh, but you know, you, you sit on this tower that you've put yourself on, or maybe the company's put you on, right? You're not that badass, And <laughs> you've got so much to learn from the people that work from you. And you have so much to learn about yourself. And so my personal journey was to try to get rid of as much of the ego as I can. I'm still, I still have an ego. I still think I know what I'm talking about in most cases, but I have to be humble. And if a leader really wants to change their culture, they're going to have to start by changing themselves and they have to be humble and recognize that there's a lot of blessed, talented people out there that are working, you know, for you and you got to listen to them. And that's going to be the first thing is, is work on yourself, fix yourself. I do a root cause analysis, the same way we do root cause analysis on yeah. you know, something that's not working right. Do a root cause analysis on yourself. And for me, it was ego and it was temperance. Like I'd fly off the handle at stupid things. And so I started studying stoicism and started, um, you know, really investing a lot of time in, in working on those virtues that I was most flawed in. And, um, you know, I, I'm still flawed in them, but I think I'm doing a much, much better job. That was the beginning of the journey. The next part was the empowerment and the um, uh, respect that you have to have for your people. They're not employees. They're not just numbers. They're not um, just, you know, oh, let's replace them with somebody else. You, you got you to gotta take some, some risk. You got to um, sculpt people. You got to look, and Michelangelo has, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the exact quote, but he was asked about uh, the statues that he creates and how do you take a big block of stone and turn it into these masterpieces? And he said that the masterpiece was always there. I just had to chip away all of the ugly stone on the outside. And I think as leaders, that's a responsibility we have. So, you know, it's, and I'd love to tell you more about like our opportunity for all program and things that we have, but we've got to start looking at people for their potential and their capabilities and start chipping away at some of the things that they're flawed at. Um, Yeah. And by doing that, you start to build a workforce that is just, you know, obviously turnovers low, you know, joy. That's one of our core values is create an environment of joy. We want people to be joy or experience right. joy when they're at work. Um, but you start to, when you start investing in the people beyond just throwing numbers or saying, oh yeah, we, we spend 50,000 per person sending them to courses. No, it's truly investing your time, investing your effort and in, in investing in their overall development that's just kind of at the genesis and that stuff starts, you get better talent, you, you talent grow within and you start to get people that are just totally invested in everything that you're doing. And I am kind of, kind of all over the place right now, but it's, no, I love You can tell your passion. (laughs) Yeah. And I I know we're on a podcast and I don't have 12 hours to explain it all, but it's basically fix yourself and then look to not fix your people, but enhance what they already have to offer. I love it. I mean, that you know, you can always tell, and I get in trouble with this too, is that um, 
you can tell when somebody's passionate about it because they want to make sure that you understand it, and that's exactly who you are and what you are and i I love that and I, I know I'm gonna have you on again. That's not a question in my mind. Next time we'll have to do it live. That's what I want to do. We'll do it live in the museum. Um, and great. I, I, oh, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Um, where can people find you to if they have questions, if executives have questions, or if somebody's like, "Gosh, I, I want to know more about Lean," or what? What is what is where's some there they can find you besides LinkedIn? Well, that's going to be the best way. Is probably that's going to be the best well. way. Good. Yeah, okay, perfect. I, don't, I don't have a fancy website, and I, I'm still we got to build um, one for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I've had you know, people say, "Hey, you should write a book and those things." I'm like, uh, "I'm not there yet. I, I I have a lot to learn myself." But um, you know, I, I have LinkedIn open. People are they're absolutely can reach out to me. Of course, uh, PhoenixFireHelmets.com. You can get a hold of the business. Um, we open our doors. You know, that one of the things that's I think special about Phoenix. And uh, I'll keep it brief, but oh, you're fine. <laughs> we're all, as an organization, our core values are not. We're not about like like if you looked at our core values, it's not you know make money. It's you right. know uh, it's those aren't the things. Like our our first um, core value has to do with um, making excellence a habit. But the second one is create an environment of joy, and then our third one has to do with leaving the world a better place. And so we open our doors for tours on Tuesdays that we've had literally thousands of people from around the world come to learn about our culture. So I invite people, if you're in Southern California, would show up or, well, just don't show up. I may be busy or our team may be busy. <laughs> send us, you know, you can send an email to learn at phoenixfirehelmets.com and we'd be happy to share everything we learned. We're, you know, one of our, uh, we have kindergarten rules in our handbook and one of them is share everything. And we're willing to share how we built our culture this way with, with anybody. And so they can, you know, you can get me on LinkedIn or you can send an email to learn at phoenixfirehelmets.com or you can go to our website and obviously our contact information's on there. I love that. I love that. Angel, it's been such an honor. And I always end the podcast the same way with three different questions. Are you ready? Absolutely. Let me, let me <laughs> First question, if you could go back to your 18-year-old self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? I think um, it's probably the same advice I'd give to my 45-year-old self, and that is uh, don't don't stop learning. Um, be humble. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Now, the second question kind of encompasses some of the stuff you talked about, but if everybody's going through challenges and struggles, and what would be two things that you'd say incorporate into your life either in the evening or in the morning or in the afternoon but do it daily. What are two daily habits that you would say people should incorporate into their life to continue to move forward? Sorry, Rob, we got the leaf blower oh, no. coming by right now. I no worries. Right. It's real. Get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally outside of my office right now. So, um, <laughs> what I would say that that you know, just not just leaders, but I think we all need to do. I, I'm a firm believer in, in meditation um, and in focus and in in taking a break. In fact, one of the things I try to get our leaders here to do, and I, and I struggle because they're really committed to what they do, is I ask them to go for a walk every day during work hours. Go take take an hour and go for a walk. Um, you need to clear your mind. You can't be. You cannot be on information overload. Um, so I, I would encourage people to to meditate or go for a walk or, or just spend a little time not focused on one thing. And, and 
the reason I ask the leaders to do that is I ask them to go out and, and just go for a walk without anybody else and without their email or without any access to that, because I think that's where we create the most value. I think that's where our mind, once you start, you know, defragging your mind, you start to really get innovative. And so I'd encourage all leaders and everyone for that matter to, to really defrag every single day. And meditation is a good way to do that. That's a huge thing. All right, here's the last one. This one's a fun one. So if you could uh, have uh, coffee at a firehouse table with three people, they can be deceased or alive, who would those people be and why? Oh, man, that's a – 300 people I can come up with. I, I know. Think. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, let's, since we're talking about leadership, I'll throw a couple of different leaders that I think uh, – one is Marcus Aurelius. Oh, yeah. Um, Emperor Aurelius, I think, you know, obviously being a student of Stoicism. Um, and then I'm going to throw another Stoic out there, and that's Seneca the Younger. Both of them are, they've been just, you know, <laughs> 2,000 years later, very inspirational. Um, and a third one, oh, that's a good, uh, gosh, I'm trying to narrow it down. Um, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it really isn't. I mean, I could, you could go through the list. And obviously, I would say to, you know, have my father back and be able to spend that time. But to, you you know, everyone would want to have access. Somebody I think that that everyone would want to have access. Um, Wow. (laughs) I'm not, (laughs) I am not really sure. Maybe, uh, maybe like Taishi Ono from Toyota. Uh, (laughs) Nice. No, I I have not heard that one ever. (laughs) Yeah, he's, you know, we spent a lot of time. I went over to Japan and learned, um, at Toyota and from some of their tier one suppliers, I, did, I went on a study mission and oh, wow. uh, you know, obviously he wasn't there, but um, right. I learned about his, what he, what his vision was uh, and really kind of as the founder of lean. I mean, lean goes back all the way to Galileo, the lean processes, you know, Henry Ford, all these different people. But I think Ono was really the first one that um, designed it in the way that we do with respect for people and continuous improvements. So I'd love to learn more about from him. God, that's amazing. See, I knew I'd get this this wealth of knowledge from you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll serve the coffee for you guys. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not usually great at making coffee, so it may be burned and old, but we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I mean, well, hey, firehouse yeah. coffee is always the mud is always oh. the best way to drink it. <laughs> yeah, it's just muddy. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate your time today and and definitely we'll have you on again. And um, congratulations on your new role and uh, definitely keep moving forward. I appreciate it, Robin. Thank you for all that you do, too. I know you have a lot of uh, irons in the fire and you're making a difference. And that's wonderful. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, folks, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.